Hi everyone, welcome to Food Talk. Producer Steve Ray Morris here to introduce Danny's interview with Lisa Kiverest, farmer, author, and entrepreneur. Enjoy the show. Hi everyone, welcome to Food Talk, the podcast. This week I get to chat with Lisa Kiverest, who is a senior fellow, endowed chair in agricultural systems at the Minnesota Institute for Sustainable Agriculture at the University of Minnesota. Whew, that's a mouthful. She is also the founder of the World Women's Project for Moses, which is the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service. And she is the author of a couple of books, including Soil Sisters, a toolkit for women farmers, um, which I want to talk about today. Uh, Lisa, that was a really short bio. Do you want to add anything to it? We'll get into a lot of what you do during this discussion, but I'm really glad you could be here today. Anything you want to add just kind of quickly? Sure. Thanks, Danny. Well, I'm a Wisconsin farmer. We run in Serendipity Farm and Bed and Breakfast here in beautiful southern Wisconsin. So hands in the soil and yeah, hands on the keyboard there too. <laughs> That's great. That's a good description. So I ask everyone the same first question and it's if you can share sort of a favorite food memory with me. I, I know you didn't start out as a farmer. You learned those skills, uh, you know, as, as sort of as an adult. Is there a favorite food memory from either the, the B&B or the farm that you want to share? Sure. So I grew up in a real uh, food centric household. I'm a first generation Latvian and Estonian. So uh, there was a lot of food growing up and a lot of sharing of food. And that's really where all my food memories come from, and most definitely here at the Bed and Breakfast, is that idea of bringing people together through food, literally around the kitchen table here. So we serve a lot of what's in season on our kitchen uh, plate, and we specialize in what we call the 10-foot garden to plate breakfast. So my favorite is actually zucchini season, <laughs> which is basically the bulk of summer in Wisconsin. But there are times when you can have zucchini in four different forms on your plate, <laughs> yeah. everything but a smoothie. I yeah. I refrain there. So I love <laughs> the abundance and having some creative fun with it. That's something we share. Everyone else I know doesn't like zucchini season. I'm thrilled during that time. I'm also from the Midwest. And so I'm always like really happy when, when zucchinis are, are in season and I can do a million different things with them. Um, so totally. uh, I, I, I want to sort of dive into why you, you wrote Soil Sisters a few years ago. Why was it important to really create a toolkit for women farmers, you know, that you, you know, and, and around really the country and around the world? Sure. So women make up one of the fastest growing groups of new farmers. And we bottom line don't fit into the same old, same old, particularly in the conventional agriculture system. We farm differently. We approach learning differently. And there really weren't resources for women specifically. So that's what inspired the Soil Sisters book. And one thing that's distinct about women is we learn very collaboratively. We love the learning circle model and that idea of asking questions and sharing and learning from each other. So that very much was the spirit behind the Soul Sisters book is over 100 different women contributed ideas and experiences and resources. So that's the spirit that we farm under and one that's really lacking, well, one could argue in traditional educational systems, but definitely in agriculture. So we needed some resources, bottom line, to mm -hmm. your question. And we also need and continue to need inspiration to sure. forge our own path because women today in all aspects of the food system, like your important work, are doing things differently. And there's no particular rule book <laughs> 
or model to follow. But we do have each other and particularly each other as a community of women to help support each other. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, you, you talked about how women farm differently. Can you dive into that a little bit more? What are some specifics? What do, what do women do differently than male farmers? Sure. So if you if you look at the numbers and where the growth is coming from, it actually is a lot of women midlife in their 40s, 50s and older who might be returning to family farm roots or, or might like myself, although I, I had my, my midlife crisis early in my 20s, <laughs> I moved to a farm without ag experience, but it's very intentional. And in some cases, particularly for women starting farms midlife, and I write about them and call them encore farmers because it's a new mm. life chapter, an important one, that you bring different skill sets. So that may very much affect how you approach your business, particularly, let's say you had a corporate career or a marketing career. So you bring different skill sets, but women in general are really championing the sustainable and organic agriculture side of wanting to steward our land and uh, incorporate conservation in what we do, smaller scale, something we can manage particularly mm -hmm. on our own, mm -hmm. and also to a very community focused. So these are not operations that want to sell and import halfway across the world. We want to feed our communities and importantly, know our communities. And when we can, of course, bring those folks out onto the farm. Absolutely. So you, you mentioned, you know, a lot of, of, of women are entering farming midlife, but a lot of women who aren't recognized as farmers have been, you know, contributing to, to farms for a long time, especially where you live in the Midwest or where I grew up in Missouri. I think there's this misconception that farm wives aren't actually farmers, but, you know, they are. And, and I, I saw it a lot growing up. You know, you, you called the, the man who, who owned the farm a farmer and, and his wife was, was his wife. Are you seeing a lot more sort of women sort of owning that they are also farmers, even though they've been, you know, sort of stereotyped as just farm wives in the past? Oh, sure. You you really nailed an important historic point that is interesting. And when you, we talk about women farmers today and these new growth trends, it sounds like it's something so new, right? Mm -hmm. But it's not. <laughs> women right. have been raising food and working on farms and feeding families and communities for as long as as modern agriculture has existed. So it's it's hardly anything new. But what, what shocks people, particularly younger women getting into farming, is how fairly recent still things have been recognized, right. both economically and politically. Uh, up until the 70s, the agriculture census, which is really the piece of data that drives our ag policy, as you well know, and the farm bill, and it's the data behind everything we do, there was only one slot for farm owner name. And that traditionally has gone to the male head of household. Mm -hmm. And that eliminated the women's role from a policy data perspective, but also economically. It wasn't also until the 70s and early 80s that women really established legal property rights of right. ownership and right. recognition for contribution to, oh, it's crazy. And that's, I mean, that, that was not that long ago. We're not talking 100 years no, ago, right? we're talking so, 40, 45 years ago that this was happening, and it's crazy to me. Exactly. And it's really important to remember when we talk about farming today as women, and particularly new women getting into farming, that we come from really strong roots of women who have cultivated soil, community, grown things. And we have ancestors that are behind us, literally, that mm -hmm. we need to champion and tell those stories even more Absolutely. because it builds us into what we are today. So, so, so you do see changes 
I think we still need to continue to go back and recognize historic uh, contributions and really celebrate that as we move forward because we're losing our history and people see women in agriculture career roles today. That's great. But historically, we haven't had the numbers behind what is actually happening out yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, I think that recognizing the history and the cultural significance of women in farming is really key. And that's something that hasn't, you know, been done until recently, because, you know, there's more of a recognition in the US. It's we still have a long way to go of, of how valuable farmers in general are. And I think recognizing the, the important role that women have played. And, and one of the things that, you know, I noticed growing up, and, and I'm sure, you know, a lot of other folks did too, is, you know, men are often, and this is kind of true in the developing world as well, men are often raising sort of the commodity crops. They're, you know, they're growing corn or soybeans. But it was the women on farms, you know, that I grew up with or have seen, you know, in sub-Saharan Africa, they're growing the food that people actually eat, that families actually get nourished with. And can you talk a little bit about, you know, how women grow things that are, you know, you talked about this uh, idea of women be more supportive of sustainable and small scale. They're also growing a, a very different crops than males usually have. I love it. Yeah, totally. And it is, again, that I'm not going to try to fit into the existing agriculture box. I'm going to create my own. I'm going to see opportunity and see needs and and run with that. So you see a lot of diversification amongst women-owned farms today, mm-hmm. particularly in that sustainable organic realm of growing either a variety of crops or some interesting specialty crops, how one markets and grows their crops. You see a lot of uh, women-led CSAs, for example, Mm -hmm. community-supported agriculture, because that's an easy fit in that, yeah, I want to partner with my community. I want people to be a part of the farm. So you you definitely see that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And on that interaction note, too, you see women driving the agritourism world, Mm -hmm. which I'm part of here with the bed and breakfast, and we do workshops on the farm and things, but also looking at it as a diversification income component in that the more income sources one can grow on their farm, whether it's literally serving folks breakfast around the table or a pumpkin you pick patch or whatever it may be. But there's more to it than that, because that really goes hand in hand with women's natural love for hosting and for bringing people together Mm -hmm. and for creating those experiences. So you put all of that together and it's not just the raising of food that shows up on somebody's dinner plate, but it's the whole farm experience that we really try to celebrate. And that's what I love about these stories of women doing things differently today and Mm -hmm. doing it with a lot of heart and passion and creating new opportunities. Absolutely. Well, you mentioned, you know, how you are really focused on on seasonal dishes at your bed and breakfast and that, you know, you're, you're really making sure that the farm is you're using things from the farm when when they're available, that you're not you know, creating these different menus that are, are totally outside of what would be grown in in uh, Wisconsin in February, for example. Can you talk about why, you know, focusing on seasonality is important to you? Sure. So it really stems from the educational side. I often joke, sometimes I have to talk fast when I'm serving breakfast so it doesn't get cold because there's a story behind that. And there's a reason why I don't serve orange juice because there's a whole history behind that and how orange juice 
was over-marketed, covertly marketed, one could argue, in the United States. And no, we don't grow citrus in Wisconsin. And no, you don't need that. But I can make a really good smoothie because I live in the highest dairy producing county in the country. And here's the story behind that. And here's where the fruit came from. Mm -hmm. And, and, and. Um, So there's very much that aspect to it of making conscious decisions that reflect our values. And in that case, yeah, my values are very seasonal. Uh, you won't you won't see the uh, fresh strawberries today because it's still nothing's planted yet. It's early spring, but come in a couple of months and that will be on the plate in multiple ways. So it it, it sort of goes against perhaps where our society has gone in the last couple of decades of, yeah, we can get everything 24 seven, but right. we've lost that special factor and as you know well the taste factor and all of those things around it that uh being small scale and being local and seasonal we have an opportunity to renew yeah and i mean you lose those stories as well and i think it's the stories that bring us all together around food so you can talk about you know the dairy cows that provided uh, the milk for those smoothies or or whatever else and that's what really i think you know if for your guests of the of the b&b probably makes them feel like it's a special experience. Have you had any pushback from those guests at any point? Are they like, I need some orange juice or I need whatever? Yeah, it's a good question. Surprise sometimes. Uh People, we all tend to fall into patterns. And well, I've always had it this way, but we tend to also... Uh, position and market the farm as what it is authentically as yeah, it's, it's an out of the way organic farm experience in a town of 200 or that's our closest town even. So, sure. so people know what they're getting into and are generally wonderfully open-minded to different things. And the flip side happens as well, where I always joke, but for 20 years now, I, when our B&B guests check out, I and my husband, John, have pages of notes from them of ideas and new ways to use that zucchini or, or, or battle mm-hmm. thing, rodents in the garden or books sure. to read during the winter, whatever it may be. So it's really reciprocal there. And you definitely see that we've been talking about that collaborative spirit between women farmers. And you see that in the B&B side as well. And I definitely see that here in my own home county of Green County, Wisconsin, where we women tend to really celebrate that the more we can all succeed, the better mm-hmm. for everybody. Mm-hmm. And it goes against that traditional you know, MBA 101 course of why would you support your competition? Compete, well, compete, we realize, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. So there, we were at a time the only, well, only bed and breakfast and definitely only farm state in our county. And now we have over five and growing women run farm stays. And we've all supported each other when we get started. And how do you navigate health department regulations? Mm-hmm. How do you, you know, launch? What do you do? How do you manage mm-hmm. this? And it, it, it always uh, amuses people when they hear that we're all really good friends and we support guests going back and forth. And, and that's how we operate. And yeah, we all succeed. And not only us as farm businesses, but our community, we bring more people in and there's the tourism aspect. Sure. And now we have local food cafes in rural Wisconsin that didn't exist just a year ago. So it's very mutual. No, and that leads me to, I I wanted to ask you this question, you know, before I interviewed you, what, what do your conventional farming neighbors think about what you're doing? Because Wisconsin is not just, you know, small scale, you know, very romanticized, uh, uh, views of, of what agriculture looks like. You still have some really big farms there and, you know, I, I'm really interested in, in hearing what those conventional folks think about what you're doing. 
Sure. So, well, two things. We are really one generation off from people remembering how things used to Mm. be. And we've developed a really close relationship with a lot of the senior farmers or senior retired farmers who came of age, yeah, right when chemical agriculture started, but they remember how it used to be. And they remember the fertility in the fields and the diversity in the farms and the chickens and the eggs. And they see that on our farm and it brings back a lot of memories. And it also brings back a lot of information on how things used to be done. And I'm always asking questions amongst our local seniors. But but also, too, it's been incredibly important for us as particularly female organic farmers to open our barn doors and mm-hmm. share what we're doing and invite those neighbors in very warmly and answer questions. So what we started almost 10 years ago now is a local network of women farmers. And we get together very informally for potlucks, but, you know, things get done when women gather over food and wine, right? So we've developed both friendships, but a lot of other projects have spun out of that. And one of them is now this Soil Sisters Weekend. We do the first weekend in August, which has grown to a whole weekend event of tours and workshops and culinary events and opportunities for both our local neighbors, but folks anywhere curious about on-farm experiences. But there's always that open door policy that is really important, I think, when you're trying to farm differently than your neighbors is to share and Uh answer questions and do them really openly and likewise ask questions on how they're doing things Mm -hmm. and how things are happening. And those uh, friendships literally with neighbors are what propel change here. Sure. Slowly, but surely. Sure. I mean, that transparency is key and, and realizing that you probably have more in common than, than you disagree about things, I think is really interesting. So the Soil Sisters weekend is August 2nd uh, through 4th uh, this year. Is that correct? Correct. Yep. And how can people find out more information about it if they want to attend or learn more? Sure. So the website is soilsisterswi for wisconsin.org. And it is a great example of women farmers starting something small and growing. We started uh, eight years ago now uh, to basically have a farm tour because, yeah, there was this growing network of organic women farmers in my area. And most of our neighbors didn't know what we were doing. And most of us had to go to the larger cities, to Madison or Chicago, to Mm -hmm. sell our wares because We didn't have a local market, or Mm -hmm. so we thought. And we wanted to build that, too, and have people aware of what was going on. So it started as a one-day farm tour open to the public and has grown from there. So it uh, is both an opportunity to share what's going on the farm, but bring some new people in. Exciting. Maybe get some new women to start farms in the process. We've had, actually, women attend the Soil Sisters Weekend and move here, which is the ultimate compliment, as far as I'm concerned, about growing community. (laughs) Well, you have it in August. You don't have it in the winter. So they think it's like that all the time. (laughs) Yeah, especially after this winter, their opinion might change. But we are chomping at the bit for spring. It makes it all the more beautiful. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you lead uh, the uh, Rural Women's Project for the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service. Can you talk about why it was important um, for you to found that sort of committee or or project and and what kinds of things that, that folks learn? Sure. So Moses is the kind of organic farming hub of information and training and resources here in the Midwest. And we uh, started, we now call it the In Her Boots Project, but 
it is specifically a ongoing program dedicated to women farmers for all the reasons we're just talking about that we don't have resources we need particularly those connections Mm -hmm. so we do a variety of programming both uh, ideally on farm that's our my my favorite is when we do day-long on-farm workshops on women-owned farms these in her boots workshops to various uh conservation training and moses hosts the world's largest organic farming gathering every february in la crosse wisconsin and we have a track there but we really focus on that networking model and the learning circle opportunity of reasons to bring women together in a safe space to ask questions to learn from each other so we tend to attract at our trainings for example a real beginning farmer audience a lot of women it's their ag event they ever attended and it might be the first time they went public with this crazy what they think at least is crazy dream of whatever. And lo and behold, being around a supportive community, you realize it's not that crazy. And and lo and behold, somebody else probably already is doing it and is happy to share. So, so yeah, we've been, it's now our 10th year of the Moses in her boots project and um, have been getting great response and have been cultivating new women farmers as we go. That's really exciting uh, and, and, and so interesting. We, we were talking earlier about how women farm differently. And one of the things that I'm interested in is tools that are really, um, you know, sized for women's bodies that are, are you know, that, that are easier for them to use or lift. Can you talk about sort of the, the this concept of, you know, we, we see a lot of uh, – you know, tools that are sort of built for men, but they're not always built for women. Can you describe why it's important to have sort of tools that are that are made for women? Yes, that is so important, Danny, because our most important tool is ourselves, right? Our bodies. And we need to keep things safe and healthy. And mainstream agriculture doesn't support that, again, right. because anything from large scale equipment, tractors to even hand tools are designed for a male body. And this isn't a question of right, wrong or strong, weak. It's just we're different, right? Mm -hmm. Basic biology. And women, for example, are generally shorter than men. We hold our strength in the lower half of our body, whereas men hold it in their upper half. So it's just differences. But again, the majority of tools, not even the majority, just about every tool is designed for the male body. So that's where, again, you see the innovation of women increasingly realizing these needs and acting on them. And in some cases, serendipitously creating new businesses. So one of the stories in the Soul Sisters book is the women at Green Heron Tools out in Pennsylvania, um, Liz Bresdinger and Ann Adams, who started a farm in midlife in their case, and were feeling like, hey, you know, some some aches and pains and these tools aren't working right. It wasn't a question of fitness level and thought at first, hey, we'll just start a catalog of all of the tools out there for women because other people are looking for these, right? And found nothing, (laughs) nothing. So that's what pivoted their life journey from farming to now designing farm tools specifically for women and asking these questions of what do we want? And what's interesting is what we really don't want is like, a tractor designed for women. You don't want a pink tractor, large, Lisa? What do you mean? No, 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 no. The larger scale, well, mechanical stuff, particularly the larger scale ones, aren't the priority. It's the tools that get our hands in the mm-hmm. soil. So the number one thing and the first thing they created was a shovel. But 
it's interesting because the shovel comes in three different sizes because we come in different sizes. We tend to shovel at an angle, whereas men shovel straight down. So it's ergonomically for that. Last year at our In Her Boots workshops, we did a focus on mechanics and uh in this case, safe tractor usage, mm. because again, it is something that we need to be conscious of all the time, especially when you're in situations that aren't designed for you. And especially with, as we were talking about, women starting farms midlife, and that tool is even more important to take care of. So we need to nurture that along and be aware and also advocate on that farm safety note that we need to be heard and we need to have more options on that safe tool route. Absolutely. And I, I just think it speaks to the the idea of bringing women together to talk about these things so that they can solve problems. And, and, and it looks like, you know, Soil Sisters and a lot of the other work that you're doing with Moses really, um, you know, helps perpetuate that, bringing people together to solve problems and, and figure out how to do things that are better. Um, you, you interviewed about 100 women for Soil Sisters, and I, I'm sure you have a couple of favorite stories. Do you want to share one? I was just thinking of one when you were talking about the innovative solutions there is Claire Hintz. Uh, she runs a farm way up north of Wisconsin, Elsewhere Farm. And she's always looking for practical ways to solve problems. In this case, she's a solo woman farmer. So she runs the farm on her own, which I write a lot about because that offers, again, a whole other set of opportunities mm -hmm. and challenges. Mm -hmm. She's fairly short herself. I think she's about 5'2". So I tease her when I go to her farm, it's like farming for hobbits. It's adorable. Everything's lower, <laughs> you know, all the too. counters. Yeah. <laughs> she can do totally whatever she wants. But when she's challenged with a problem on the farm, what she has found, which I think is brilliant, is to basically go to Google Translate and put her problem in there and translate it to some Eastern European language from the former communist bloc countries and then put it into YouTube. And she gets these videos, you know, from the Czech Old Republic and the Baltic countries even where my family's from yeah. because people have been farming there creatively, sustainably, but with the lack of gear and the wow. lack of all the resources and things. So there's some incredible creative things happening to solve all kinds of That's drainage brilliant. issues or whatnot that, uh, yeah, yeah. So I love those stories that are so simple and practical that uh, anybody can take up, up on them. But you really see women, again, thinking out of the box on how do I solve my problem and how can I connect with others who probably have already done that even better. Yeah, there, there doesn't have to be this reinventing of the wheel. There's a lot of, of resources. You just have to find them, whether you have to put it into Google Translate or, or pick up your book, Soil Sisters. So you, you wrote this book in 2016. And, you know, we've had some political changes in this country. We've, you know, we've had, uh, we've sort of seen the growth of, of uh, the continued growth of the local and organic movement. If you were writing the book today, would you write it differently or would it be pretty much the same? Oh, what's in there is definitely still relevant. It'd be longer. <laughs> There'd be more to add. And I would definitely, and it's funny to say that because I wanted to add a longer chapter on leadership that we didn't mm. have space for. And that would be my primary objective now because you have seen and continue to see so many women in sustainable ag, women farmers stepping up to that leadership plate and that is so important. I mean, and that Absolutely. goes back to both the local community. I mentioned this local network we have here of women who get together. Because we all knew each other, we now have three women on our local county board elected nice. to county board supervisor positions that are asking questions about water quality and 
getting renewable energy into our county and all of these things that were not on the discussion board already. And we're seeing more women running for higher office. One of our, uh, w- w- uh, Chris Marion, who runs Circle M Farm by me, who was one of these farm stays who started uh, in collaboration with our, with me and with all of the other ones going on here, ran for state Senate in the last election as a farmer. That was her, her platform and the food issue and needing fresh voices. And that's where two, uh, the plate to politics initiative that the Women Food and Agriculture Network runs that we launched uh, way back when in partnership with Moses uh, is an important aspect, too, of more resources for women looking to step up to the leadership plate. And that's going to continue. But I'm really inspired by what we've seen in reaction to current situations and current administrations that we need fresh voices. And the more women we can get in there who have an understanding of and better yet experience in the food system, that's only going to be fresh fresh needed change for sure sure and 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 literally grassroots so will you be announcing your candidacy for something soon no i i well <laughs> it's funny i have found as i've seen with my friend chris's campaign i'm i'm really good on the boots on the ground support structure i threw her 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 party on election night you know and those kind of things we all have a role to play but sure. but yeah no, for sure. For sure. Who knows? Who knows? But uh, in the meantime, I want to. But it's interesting you, you say that because they have statistically found that women, not just in the ag world, but anywhere, when it comes to running for office, we need to be asked much more than well, men will be much more likely to decide I'm going to run for mm-hmm. a county board or senator or whatever it may be. But we need to be asked and the research even shows up to seven times. So any opportunity I have, any opportunity we all have to encourage other women to run, we need to do that. Absolutely. And those, those messages settle in and, and who knows where they go, but uh, we need to keep asking. I'll, I'll ask you six more times. Um, so before, likewise, yeah. <laughs> before um, our final question, can you tell people where to get Soil Sisters and the other books that you you've uh, co-authored with your husband? You bet. So they're all available on Amazon or any of those online portals. All of our books are with New Society Publishers, a great Canadian house, and they can be there. And also our main farm website in serendipity, I-N-N, serendipity.com. Folks can order directly off of that, too. Awesome. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Steve Ray Morris here, producer of Food Talk with Danny Nuremberg. Wanted to jump in with a little announcement. Join us for a live food talk in Washington, D.C. on Capitol Hill in the Rayburn Building on May 10th. And we also have another event at New York City at NYU on May 14th. We will also be hosting events in partnership with Mother Jones on May 29th in San Francisco and June 5th in Los Angeles. These will all be announced soon enough with more cities and dates. Tickets are already announced first and are free to attend for Food Tank members. Become a member of Food Tank now at foodtank.com join. See you there. So um, my last question is a set of three sort of rapid fire questions. And I want you to say the first thing that comes into your head. Um, So the first is your favorite book. My (laughs) So we've been talking about Soul Sisters. So that did jump into my mind first. You can say it. (laughs) You know, when you write, you write the books you need. So I think with all of our books, uh, there's been a real desire to learn. And that's what prompted. So yeah, my Farmstead Chef, our cookbook we did I need a new copy this year because it's like I've completely worn oh, the thing out. Great. So yeah, that that does 
come about when you do your own writing. I love it. You're the first person who has said that their own book is their favorite book. I love it. Um, so second question, who inspires you the most? Who inspires me the most? Well, I'm real rooted here with my family on the farm. It's very much a family-run business. So between my husband, John Ivancoe, and our son now, Liam, who's turning 18 and fledging on his own, nice. running a diversified farm business really gets you inspired by the people you're with. That's great. And the last question is, what is your favorite innovation or practice uh, that you know, you've seen recently or something that you always turn to when you're farming? Favorite innovation? Well, when we first moved here 20 years ago, we had one of the first dial-up internet connections. <laughs> and right now we're trying to negotiate something. Well, we, we're, we're past dial-up. But the point is, the internet has changed farming and has changed the access to information. So I think it's amazing what folks starting fresh today can access immediately that I still had to get books out way back when and still had my Rodale muddy covered books sure. in the garden. So that's a game changer for everybody. Absolutely. And the ability for people to connect from all over the world to what you're doing and for you to connect to what they're doing is, you know, it, it constantly is amazing to me as well. So those are all great. Thank you so much for joining me, Lisa. I know you have a lot Thank to you. do to get ready for the season, but I really appreciate your time. I hope everyone, you know, picks up a, a copy of Soil Sisters. It's a really, as the title implies, it, it really is a great set of tools for, for women farmers. Thanks again, Lisa. Take care. Perfect. Thank you. Thanks for listening today. A shout out to our producer, Stephen Ray Morris, who makes this podcast possible. And please subscribe and rate this podcast wherever you listen. It would really mean the world to me. You can check out Food Tank at foodtank.com. Email me at danielle at foodtank.com. And follow me on Twitter at Danny Nirenberg and on Insta at Food Tank. Thanks again. See you next time for Food Talk. Thank you again for listening. Join us to see the podcast recorded live at the upcoming Food Talk event in a city near you by visiting foodtank.com slash events. Tickets are always free for Food Tank members, so join now and we'll see you there.